Well, hey there, and welcome to the Saints Church Glory Hills podcast. We're so happy that you joined us today. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, we believe that God will speak to you through one of our pastors today. Let's jump in. So this morning, we are actually starting a new series. Uh, Pastor Jeremy is going to be continuing this over the next number of weeks. Actually, I think Pastor Jeremy, Pastor Brett, and Pastor Des are all coming out here over the next number of weeks. And uh, we're, we're doing a series. And this series is actually really important because uh, it, it is a foundational, or it should be a foundational part of our relationship with God. But I think oftentimes we kind of skip uh, a huge part of the Bible. We, we look at the New Testament, and the New Testament is like a lot easier for us to understand, and so we sort of skip the Old Testament a little bit. Um, but I believe that God has something that he wants to share with us today and that he wants to share with us through this series. And so uh, we are going to be starting this series, and we're looking at the character and nature of God, God the Father. So we have talked about Jesus, and, and in the new year we're going to talk about Jesus more and the Holy Spirit, but today we get to talk about God, the original. So if you have a Bible, if you want to turn with me to Exodus 34, and we're going to look at verses 6 to 7, and it says, and he passed in front of Moses, and God passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are here with us now. We thank you, God, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. God, we thank you that uh, Jesus was just the personification of who you already were and are. And I pray, God, that today we would understand more of your character and nature, God, that we would come to an understanding God, that you are a good God and that you have a real desire for relationship with your people. And so, God, I pray that we would meet with you today. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Uh, Yesterday, I was at an event, and it was an event where I didn't know anyone. And so I was walking around, and I was trying to avoid awkward conversations, but then I'm tall, so everyone sees me. And, uh, And so people would come up, and they would start talking to me, and I'm like, man... I, like, I've decided that I am, I'm going to classify myself as a non-networking extrovert. So, like, I'm terrible at that initial, like, networking piece. But then, like, once I'm friends with you, then it's like, oh, yeah, this is great. I can have a conversation with you. So these, these events are always awkward for me because I don't love breaking the ice. Um, they're a little bit uncomfortable. So I kind of, without realizing it, I have, like, a script that I say. And I didn't really realize until I was sitting down and writing this. Yesterday, and, and the thing that I always ask first is, so what do you do? What do you do? And I think a lot of us have a question that we may ask, or maybe we're just really introverted and we don't ask anything, and we wait for the non-networking extrovert to come up and ask us, what do we do? And then we give them a short explanation, and then the conversation goes from there. Uh, but I realized that when I ask people, what do you do, the reason I ask is because it kind of might give a glimpse into who they are as a person. It might give a glimpse into the things that they like. Now, there's always two different types of responses. The first response is, oh, I'm doing this, but I really don't want to do that. So those are the people who don't like their jobs. And then there's the people who are like, oh, this is what I do. And they might be okay with it. They're not, they're not mad about it, but it's still not exactly who they are. 
And so it's just a good leaping off point to be able to find out a little bit more about who they are as people. We all know what we do is not who we are, but sometimes it can be a hint into what we love. Uh, when we read the Old Testament, we kind of have a tough time understanding God. I'm not going to lie. When uh, Pastor Brett and Pastor Jeremy told me we were doing this series, I was a little bit afraid because when we look at the Old Testament, it's like it feels confusing and it feels like there's a different God maybe. It feels like there's, you know, maybe that that God was angry or judgmental and that it's like not the same guy as Jesus, but like I know that in my brain he's supposed to be the same guy, but like let's just ignore the Old Testament because, you know, it's easier not to deal with that, right? So we look at the Old Testament and we wonder, does God have a short temper? Is he far off from his creation? Or is he up close and personal? Uh, someone who will remain nameless. Okay, well, you just exposed yourself. You exposed yourself, Christy. Send me a meme yesterday without knowing I was preaching about this. And it was actually a funny meme. But it was, uh, it was, it was like a picture of, I don't even know what it was. but so, Oh, yeah, someone like, yeah, some really mean guy. And it said God of the Old Testament. And then like a really nice guy. And it was like God of the New Testament. She didn't even know I was preaching about this today. But I actually think that the reality is that we sometimes think that God, there's two opposites, that, that uh, Jesus is one side of his personality, but when a, when a switch flips, he's this angry guy. But I believe understanding who God is is of the utmost import. Your understanding of who God is will direct your decisions in life. Do you see God as angry, judgment, uh, an angry, judgmental, celestial being? You will live in fear and an, and an inability to walk forward into what God has called you to do. Do you, see as God, do you see God as someone who, if begged, will give you exactly what you want? Well, you'll quickly make yourself God and believe that the universe and the creator of it revolves around you. Do you see God as outside and uncaring, as distant and, and you know, he's not aware of what's going on? Well, you'll treat him the same. You're going to treat him as if he's not present, as if he's not an important part of our lives. So how we understand God, and when I say God, I'm not just talking about God the Father. I'm talking about God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, the triune in one. How we understand God will direct our lives and set us on a course where we'll either come to him intimately or we'll live outside of a relationship with him, maybe professing that we know God, maybe professing that, yeah, I'm a Christian. I love that Jesus guy, but like God of the Old Testament, I don't know about that guy. So how do we find out who God is? This is actually, you know what, I'm going to make, I'm going to open this up. How do we find out who God is? We've been saying this over the last year. How do we find out who God is? Yes, read the Bible, his word, exactly. We find out who God is by his self-revelation in scripture. And so yesterday when I was at that event, I was talking to people and I found out who people were by what they told me about themselves. Now that in no mean means that they, I knew everything about them or what they're like in every single situation, but the best way to find out about how, who someone is is to find out what they say about themselves. We learn to do the same thing in scripture, that we are looking to see who God is in scripture. So the verse that we read at the beginning of this sermon is actually the most complete self-description that God gives about himself to people in Scripture. So if you go all through the Bible, this is the most complete self-description that God gives about God in the Bible. And in, in Jewish learning, these verses are absolutely crucial. They're like foundational. When they try and find out who is God, this is the verse that they go back to. They go back to 
this verse, that God is compassionate and, and merciful. He's slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. And these scriptures are not only God's biggest self-description in scripture, but it's actually the most quoted scripture in the Bible from the Bible. And so it's just, it's, it's just very important. And in the Western world, we kind of underemphasize uh, how important these scriptures are. We really like like John 3.16, or we really like some of those New, New Testament verses. But this verse is so important as for our understanding of God. So let's read it one more time. And he passed, and God passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. So just quickly, I'm going to talk about the very end of that, and and we're not going to we're not going to unpack this whole verse today because there's so much to unpack, but I think sometimes you might hear someone preaching about God in the Old Testament trying to like say, yeah, God and Jesus are the same person. They'll just like conveniently leave out the part that he says he does not leave the guilty unpunished. But what this is saying is actually that God is just and part of God's attributes is that he is just and he is righteous and he is holy. So as someone who is just and righteous and holy, he cannot... He cannot have anything to do with sin. He cannot have anything to do with rebellious people. So according to his character, he is consistent, and he will not leave the guilty unpunished. But that's not the, that's not the whole, that's not the main point of this verse. The main point, and sometimes what I think I do is I, I focus on the part that he says, you know, he punishes the children and their children for the sin. But right before that, it says that he maintains love to thousands of and, and generation upon generation, that is who God is. So we get to this verse in Exodus 34, and uh, God is talking to Moses about who he is. But I think we need to rewind a little bit further back in Scripture uh, to see kind of how Moses and God's relationship started off. So Moses and God, they've been growing their relationship. They've been getting to know each other a little bit. Now, obviously, God knows Moses completely because he's God, but Moses doesn't really know God, and, and God wants to see what, what Moses is all about. He wants to see, how is Moses going to react to different problems? How is Moses going to, you know, when things go bad, how is Moses going to react? When uh, Haley and I started dating, this is kind of an embarrassing story that I really shouldn't tell. I might have already told it, but when Haley and I started dating, uh, I, a lot of Christians are terrible at dating. They kind of, like, lead people on, and then, like, just ditch, I think this whole, every, not just Christians, probably, probably everyone in the world. They just leave people on and then they just ghost them, right? And so I didn't want to be that guy. I didn't want to like ghost Haley, but I also didn't really want to date her. So I was like, I want to, I want to get to know her a little bit, but I want like an emergency exit if I need an emergency exit, right? I didn't tell her, I didn't tell her that. Um, she was completely unaware that that's what I was doing. So me and her had gone on a few dates and we got to the date where it was like the determine the relationship date, where you're like, okay, are we dating? Are we not dating? Are we friends? What is happening right now? Uh, we went canoeing that day, and there was like randomly a person sitting in a tree fiddling and a bald eagle that landed on a log next to us. So like, I don't know, <laughs> match made in heaven? I think so. Um, so we were, we, were, uh, we were not dating, and so we went to this restaurant after, and we're sitting in the restaurant, and I've just... 
just, you know, I'm not homeschooled, but I sound like I am here. Sorry, no, no offense to all the homeschool people out there. But uh, we're sitting there, and she, we're talking about our relationship, and I was like, Haley, I just want to be really clear that, like, I don't think that we should date right now, but I just want to court you. And, like, I'm thinking, like, courting is, like, pre-dating, right? And then, like, she's thinking courting is, like, oh, we're going on four more dates, and then, like, our parents are going to get together, and we're going to get married because it's, like, some kind of an arranged marriage situation. So it was really awkward for me because I was trying to be way more clear, and I was way less clear. We actually, like, sort of broke up after that because it was getting too quick, uh, too real too fast. So my bad. Don't tell someone you're courting them until you're, like, later on in the relationship. That does not clarify things. But at this point in Scripture, God and Moses are kind of courting each other. They're kind of seeing each other. They're trying to figure out who each other are. They're trying to see, hey, where are we going in our relationship? God is trying to see, Moses, how do you see me as God? You've heard about me. You've heard that I'm the God of your ancestors, the God of your fathers, the God of Isaac and Jacob and Abraham. You've heard of me, but do you know who I am? Am I just the, you know, am I just the person that your friends told you about? Am I just the 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 blind date that you're going on or am I something real to you? Let's determine the relationship. And so in the Bible, there's a there's a concept that a, a name is significant in the Bible. A name is more than just, you know, like George or like Annie or Lucy or Sebastian. A name was given because it really meant something. And some of those those names do mean things, but I think those names mean things after the fact, not they weren't kind of before. And so when God tells Moses his name, what he's telling Moses is something that's very significant. He's telling Moses something that means more than just his name. He's telling Moses what his name is because his name matters. And so we come to this scripture in Exodus 3 verses 9. So this is like way before, this is before the Israelites have left uh, Egypt, before they crossed the Red Sea, before all of that. And this is actually Moses and God's first encounter. So Moses is tending his sheep, and then verse 9 says, uh, Moses is tending his sheep, he meets with God, and then God starts speaking to Moses. And verse 9 says, And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And God says, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. And they ask me, well, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Now, if I'm reading this uh, as a Canadian born in the 90s, I'm kind of like, okay, I am is, is the least descriptive name of all time. Like, hey, uh, what are you, like, God, what are you all about? Like, what, what do you want to do? Oh, I am. It's like, okay, that's, that's not super helpful. Like, are you, like, strong? Are you wise? Are you all-knowing? Are you powerful? What are you? I am. Okay, God, well, thanks a lot. 
But I think if we actually dig in a little bit deeper and we get into the head of Moses and how people in that, that time would have understood this, we realize it was significant. God is I am. The name is more than just simply a way to call someone in Scripture. The name defines him. His name explains his char- who, what his character is and how he interacts with us more than simply being a title. Now, the Bible, when you're reading the Bible, oftentimes I am or Yahweh or Jehovah has been actually changed to the Lord. And so we sing a song. I was thinking about the song we were singing today, and it says, you are Lord of this house. And we think of Lord, and, and when I think of Lord, I think of like a king or like, it's kind of like a title, like sir or like Lord or your majesty, right? But the problem is with, with this translation of I am to Lord is that we kind of lose what the meaning actually was to Moses and what the meaning actually is to us today. When God says, I am, he is saying, I am the same God who spoke to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is saying, I am the same God who promised to do something and will follow through. He is saying that when you say, who am I, he says, I am enough. He is saying that when the Israelites call out to him, he remembers the promises he made to them. He is saying that he is always consistent. He always follows through. He does not change. He's not swayed by bad moods or by Oilers losing 10 games in a row or by us losing our head coach this morning. He's not swayed by those things. Sorry, spoiler alert. He's not moved by winter or summer. He's not moved by any of these things. He is God. He is. And that is an incredible thing. I should not have said anything about the Oilers coach. They fired Jay Woodcroft. There's some guy from Philadelphia who's going to be the coach. We don't know who he is. Everything is dark and sad. But we won last night. Okay, let's continue on. God is. He is. Who are you? I am. And that is absolutely crucial for us to understand that we serve a God who is consistently consistent. He doesn't change. He is not moved. He's not swayed by how I feel or by what I do or by how I look or by who my friends are or by what family I was raised in. He's not swayed by any of those things. He understands those things intimately, but he is. In a world where there's no consistency, where there's no logic, where there's no follow-through, for me, it's a great relief to know that we serve a God who is and who has always been, and who will always be. We serve a God who isn't swayed by our failings or our successes. He is consistently consistent. So, in this story, God and Moses, they meet. They introduce each other. God says that he is. Moses might be still a little bit confused, but he's like, okay, this is, this is still significant. He starts to get to know God, get to know who he is a little bit more. That it's not just the God of his father's but it's becoming his God. But just like with anyone, Moses doesn't fully know who God still is. He wants to get to know God a little bit more. So, you know, back to my relationship with Haley. We're well past the courting phase. We somehow dodged that bullet. Started dating post-courting. And and we're, we're dating, and I went to her dad's house where she was living, and there was always like a vacuum, you know those like central vacs? There was always like a vacuum hose on the ground. But the house was never vacuumed. And I grew up in a house that was like, 
my mom would vacuum all the time. And actually, she made me vacuum all the time. But um, she would not say that I, I did such a good job with that. One time I vacuumed my sister's hair up. Anyways, um, so, so Haley, I, I, was, I was a little worried, you know. So I knew Haley. I knew a lot of the things that she liked. I knew that we were probably pretty compatible together. But there was just one thing. I just wasn't sure if she vacuumed. And so for me... That was a big deal because I grew up in a house that a mom vacuumed all the time, and it's not like it's the mom's duty. I know I could do it. It's not, you know, I get it. But it was something that I was a little bit worried about. Now, fast forward to post-courting, post post-dating, post-engagement, post-courting, post-marriage, now post-kids, we're at a place now where I actually have to ask Haley to vacuum less because she vacuums all the time. It's like there's, there's just like a constant vacuum on in our house. We have someone who lives in our basement. We have central vac, so I feel bad for him because he probably can never sleep. Um, but I've gotten to know Haley a little bit more, and, and now I know, okay, she does vacuum. So Moses is, Moses is wondering, who is this God? What is he like? Yeah, he says he is. I saw, okay, he, he, he sent the plagues, and he, he brought us out of Egypt, and he, he, he hardened Pharaoh's heart and softened people's hearts, and we crossed the Red Sea, and he saved us. And, but, but, like, who is he? I know he's powerful, but who is this God? And we get to this, this place, and it's, it's important because... Just like God said, as proof to you that I will do what I said, on this very mountain you will worship me. And so they're actually back to the same mountain that God spoke to Moses on in the first place when he said, I am. They're on the same mountain, but this time Moses is here with all the Israelites, all of these people that he brought out of Egypt. And Moses had gone up to the top of the mountain and when he got to the top of the mountain, God chiseled two stones out and inscribed the Ten Commandments to Moses. And so him and Moses are, are getting to know each other a little bit more, and, and he's understanding what the commandments and the laws look like. And then God says, hurry, Moses, hurry. The people of Israel are sinning. They've created a golden calf, and they're worshiping it. And so Moses, you know, he's like, oh my goodness, like, I left for five minutes, and these guys made a golden calf and are worshiping it. Like, yeah, he was gone for 40 days, but it wasn't that long. It wasn't that long, and, and all of a sudden, the Israelites decide to completely turn away from God. And God says to Moses, he says, should I wipe these people out? Should I just start over? Should I destroy them and start over with you, Moses, because you know who I am? Should I just start over? And we can see a scripture like that, and we can hear a story like that, and we can think that's who God is. He loves wiping people out and starting over. But what God was doing here is he wanted to see what Moses' response was. I can tell you that leading things is not easy. Moses had an opportunity to literally start over and just lead his family. Like leading just his family instead of leading tens or hundreds of thousands of Israelites through the wilderness. I feel like I would have taken that deal. Like, you know what, God, actually, yeah, just wipe them out. Like, my fa I know my family, I raised them, like, we're good. So we don't need these other guys. We're going to have, like, a ton of gold and stuff because we can melt that calf down. We'll be rich. You know, it's going to be good. But God wanted to see what was in Moses' heart. And Moses said, no, God, don't destroy them. If you destroy them, what will people say about your name? 
What will people say about who you are? And we read this and we think, oh man, Moses is more just and merciful than God. But Moses was responding to what God had already promised. God had already promised that he would be with them and that he would guide them through. God wanted to see where Moses' heart was at and if he understood who God was. Now, this is just uh, a sermon within a sermon, but I was thinking about the Israelites, and I was thinking about how quick they were to just pretty much abandon ship and start worshiping this golden calf. And I know for myself, and I wonder for us today, how often when we're outside of a Sunday or when we're outside of some sort of spiritual covering, you know, Pastor Brett last week was in Slovenia, and, uh, and so then it's like, it was kind of like the spiritual covering was gone. And I wonder how often when something like that happens that we just kind of like forget about the things we're supposed to do and we just do whatever we want to do. And I know for myself that it's really, really easy to get into that mindset that like, oh, somebody else can carry the weight for me. Oh, somebody else can, you know, oh, I hope my grandma's praying for me. I don't need to pray for myself. My grandma's praying for me or my parents are praying for me or my wife's praying for me. Or maybe the church is praying for me. Ah, I don't need to do that. I wonder how often we shirk responsibility, personal responsibility for our relationship with God, hoping that someone else is going to do that for us. I know that I am a lot closer to the Israelites than I am to Moses. And so I would encourage you today, don't let somebody else live your relationship with God for you. They can't. And they won't. And you'll just be deceiving yourself. Run after God. Be someone who runs after God for yourself. Not someone who hopes someone else will carry the weight for you. If you're on teams even at this church, be someone who carries weight. Be someone who lifts weight so that it's not heavy for those who lead you. Anyways, back to our regularly regularly scheduled programming. Uh, So we jump to Exodus 32 and 33. So the Israelites have been absolutely ridiculous. They made this calf. God wants to destroy the Israelites. Moses says, don't. And, uh, and then we get, to, we get to the heart of it. We get to the place w- that really matters. And I think what we realize here is that Moses could have had a heart for the inheritance. He could have had a heart for, for the stuff that he would have gotten. He could have had a heart for the, the promised land that God would take him and his family into. He could have had a heart for, I'm just going to take the easy way out here, God. I, you know what? Yes, destroy this. He could have had a heart for all of those things. But Moses realized, and what we need to realize, is that our inheritance is actually in God. Our inheritance is God. The Bible talks about the Levites, and the Levites didn't get a portion of land in the promised land because God was their portion. God was their inheritance. And before all of this happens, Moses Moses realized God is his inheritance. God is the thing that matters. God is the person that matters. He said, if you're not going to go with us, God, into this promised land, I don't want to go. If you're not going to walk with us into the promised land, if you're just going to send an angel with us to destroy our enemies, I don't want to go. It's not worth it for me. I want to be with the one who is consistently consistent. I want to be with the one who is the creator of the universe but wants to have a relationship with me. I want to be with the one who knows me by name. And this pleased God. God saw this and he saw Moses' heart. And Exodus 33, 17 to 19 says, And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. And then Moses says, Now show me your glory. That's bold. 
And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on, who, on whom I will have compassion. And then we get to the verse that we've been preaching about all day, Exodus 34, 6 to 8. And then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him. And he called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children to the third and fourth generation. And this is what Moses' response is. Moses immediately threw himself to the ground and worshipped. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was talking face-to-face with God and now he wasn't actually like face-to-face with God, it's a personification, but he was close to God, he was talking to God, I don't think I would have the boldness to say, God, show me your glory. I don't know if I'd have the boldness to ask the Old Testament, God, show me your glory. This guy seems like he's like really powerful. But Moses understood God in an intimate way. He understood that he had a relationship with God. He understood God the same way that the New Testament talks about God in the name of Jesus. We have an opportunity to talk to God face to face and we say, God, show me your glory. We have that same boldness because it's the same God. But if we don't understand it's the same God, if we don't understand that this God of the Old Testament is the same as the New Testament, we're going to start thinking that God's got like a dual personality thing. We don't want to really make him angry because he might wipe me away or he might. This God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. So today we don't have time to unwrap this whole thing. That's going to be over the next several weeks. But today all I wanted to, all I wanted to look at was the name I am. Yahweh, the Lord. You see, Yahweh was a name that God gave to himself, not for his own sake, but for our sake. Yahweh was a name that he knew would would mean something to his people. God understands humans, despite our inability to grasp him. And when when he gives us his name, he does it for our sake, so that we can understand more of who he is. He is Yahweh. He is I am. He is consistently consistent. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. When God says to Moses, Yahweh the Lord, the original would have been the same words. It would have been Yahweh, Yahweh, or it would have been, I am who I am. And he's saying, remember Moses, we just had this conversation about the Israelites where you thought I wanted to to take them out. But remember, Moses, that I am who I am. I'm the same God who promised to bring these Israelites out of Egypt at the burning bush. I'm the same God who promised to your forefathers that I was going to lead you into the promised land. I am the same God who has been with you this whole time. I am the same God. And so when we read these verses, we have to understand that I am is, is the is the precedent before all of these things. That he is saying, I am consistent. I'm not swayed. He's saying, I am consistent. And I am compassionate. And I am merciful. And I am slow to anger. And full of love and faithfulness. 
But I also don't just excuse those who turn away from me. I'm consistent, and part of that consistency means I am consistently just and holy. See, he wanted Moses to remember who he was, the same God that rescued Israel from the Egyptians, the same God who spoke to his forefathers and promised to make them into a great nation. He wanted Moses to understand that not only was he consistent, and this is the crux of today, not only is God consistently consistent, but he is a God who from the very, very beginning wanted and wants to have a deep relationship with his people. He is a personal God. He is not our Lord. Yes, he is our Lord, but he didn't present himself in the way of, I am omnipotent, or I am omnipresent, or I am all-knowing or powerful. He didn't present himself as, he didn't even start with, I am loving. He started with, I am Yahweh, I am Yahweh. I am a personal God who wants to be in relationship with his people. This God of the Old Testament is a personal God. So how do you see God? How do you understand God? He's not some far-off entity unaware of the goings-on of humans. He's not a slumbering God who needs to wake up. He's a personal God who wants to have a personal relationship with his creation and has wanted that since the very beginning. God wants to get up close and personal. He wants to show Moses his glory, and he wants Moses to ask him, who are you, God? He wants Moses to pursue him, to say, who are you? I want to know more about you. And he is so consistent that he had a plan the whole way through Scripture to reveal himself to human in flesh, to become a man who is intimately aware of what we go through as humans. John 1, 14, and then verses 16 to 18 says, The word became flesh, and flesh made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16, Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Why doesn't the band come up this morning? Our understanding of who God is matters greatly because it will start to sway our perspective of what God is doing in our lives, what God is doing in our world. Sometimes we can look around the world and say, oh, that thing happened because the God of the Old Testament's doing something over there. Jesus would have never done that. But I can tell you today that God wants a relationship with us, and he's always wanted an intimate relationship with us. I said we were going all the way back, and in Genesis, the Bible says that God walked with Adam and Eve through the garden in the cool of the day. The very beginning, he gave his, he created us, and at the very, very beginning, he walked with humans through the garden. And when there was separation brought because of sin, it didn't surprise him or scare him. He's consistently consistent. He knew what was going to happen. His character wasn't affected by us bringing sin into the world. Who he is was not affected by our failure or by our successes. He has always been and always will be the same God. 
And for me, that's a great relief to know because, man, oh, two weeks from now, I might do something really stupid. And if I know that today God tells me that he loves me, then in two weeks, I know he still loves me. And in two months and in two years, when things get hard, I know he still loves me. If he said when I was 15 years old, Seb, I have called you, then I know today I am called because he doesn't change. I change, but he never changes. See, God always wanted intimacy from the very, very beginning. And we see Moses was able to have some of that intimacy with God. But God didn't just want it for Moses. He didn't just want it for a few people. He wanted it for all. And so when he sent his son from heaven to earth, he created a way when there wasn't a way, when we couldn't make a way. Because he knew what was going to happen. He knew exactly the situations that we were going to be in. And he knew that we needed a savior because we can't do it on our own. He knew that he is just and that he is holy and there needs to be an atonement for that justice and holiness. And so he didn't make us pay the price. He made his son pay the price for us. 2 Corinthians 3, 16 to 18 says, but whenever, when any, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all know who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. I would encourage you every single time you're reading the Bible and you see the word Lord in all caps, especially when it's in all caps because that's actually directly translated from Jehovah or Yahweh. Change that to I am. Change that to a personal God, not a God that we cower before, Yes, a God that we fear because he is holy and he is mighty and he is worthy. But a God who is personal and who wants relationship with me and has always wanted that. Just like Moses or just probably more like the Israelites, if we choose to understand God just with our brains, just understand, oh yeah, like this is the dude who's like setting us free. If we choose to think of God as aloof, we will never be transformed into the people he desires us to be. The hard thing with a God who is and who always will be, the hard thing with a God who doesn't change is that it requires that we change. If you've ever been in a relationship with someone, you realize that you're both changing and moving. And there's compromise and there's, you know, when things get tough, you might have to figure out something that works for both of you. We serve a God that is unchanging, unmoving. And so, we are the ones who need to change. We are the ones who need to move because he is perfect. He's the perfect model. He is perfection. But how many know that he doesn't, he also knows that it was impossible for us to gain perfection. And so when he sent his son, he, he provided grace for us. And grace lifts us up and allows us to begin to look more like Jesus no matter how many times we fall down. As we spend time with God, we begin to understand who he is. Yahweh and Jesus are the same person and they are desperate for us to go to them and ask, God, show me your glory. And when we say that and they respond and they show us our, their glory, our response as people is that we worship. That doesn't mean just on a Sunday morning when there's nice music playing. We worship through our words and through our actions. We worship by the way we live and by the way we talk and by the way we act. We worship our lives, our worship because God is worthy of worship. We don't do it because he 
forces us to. We do it because he's so good. How could we do anything else? God's plan from Genesis 1 was to be in relationship with his people. So today, I'll ask you, who is God? Who is God to you? What are the things that you think about God that might not be true? And I'll tell you who God is. Yahweh, the Lord, I am, the God of compassion and mercy, slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. He lavishes unfailing love to a thousand generations and he forgives iniquity, rebellion, and sin. If you're here today and you do the right things, maybe you do your best not to sin, you try to be morally, you know, live morally right, but you aren't pursuing a personal relationship with God, I would encourage you, start getting to know who God is. Spend time in the Word seeing what He says about Himself. Spend time in prayer asking God, who are you? God, show me your glory. God, let me experience your glory. And I can tell you that Moses, at the end of his life, someone who is closer with God than maybe any of us will ever be, still probably didn't even know one one one-thousandth of who God was. Because God is so big and so wide and so powerful that even to glimpse, the Bible said when, when God walked past Moses, and Moses was in the cleft of the rock, that God was so good and so holy that Moses' face started shining like the sun when he would meet with God. God is someone who can be pursued for our entire lives and he should be pursued for our entire lives because he is worthy. And when we get to eternity, we will continue to pursue him, continue to try to understand who he is. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions or are looking to get connected in any further way, head to saintschurch.ca and we would love to meet you.